dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, this is week 90-something of our uh, working from home situation. How's it going for you, by the way? Well, it's a daily battle. I can imagine, I can imagine. You've got two boys under the age of 10. I've got one dog under the age of five, and I bet you they both, um, both sets have the attention span of the same. Yeah, I would guess so. The boys had been going with their dad to work, but he's gotten to a point where it's not just feeding cattle all day and it's working calves and riding through the pastures and stuff. And the boys don't really like to ride, so they've been sitting in the pickup. And the last few times they had to sit in the pickup, they got in trouble. So, aha. Uh-huh. Well, I have to stay at home with mom. You all worked cattle last week, didn't you? Yeah, we worked our calves on Friday. And- went real smooth and everybody got the shots they needed and the bulls got cut good turned out turned out nice so good i'm glad to see that i you know just a little bit of a normalcy feels a little bit good doesn't it yeah there was i think we lacked a few cows that hadn't calved yet on the red bunch but i they're all here i think now okay okay well, you know, life is kind of opening up slowly around here. I got my hair cut yesterday, finally. Um, I swear, I, I was starting to feel like Cousin It from whatever show that was. And I think at this point in 2020, people probably don't even know who Cousin It is. But look it up, kids. <laughs> and uh, Maggie went to her groomers last week, so she got her hair cut. Um, I had my dentist appointment this morning. I'm just all over creation, but I tell you what, I'm still, you know, wearing a mask. And if I'm around people, you know, that we're having a situation, you know, some close encounter situation that we're planned to be, I asked, would you prefer a mask or, you know, at the dentist this morning, I had to sit in my car instead of the waiting room and call in and tell them I was there. And then they sent somebody out to escort me into the facility after having taken my temperature at the door. Um, I wasn't required to wear a mask in there, but uh, everybody else was masked up and, and ready to go. And, um, you know, it's just a different, it's a different time frame, right? Yeah, the boys and I had to go to the eye doctor on Tuesday and it was the same thing, you know, temperature checked in the car and you had to wear a mask. And that was a task getting a nine-year-old and a six-year-old to wear a mask. You know what? Use, uh, use wild rags. Tell yeah, them they're, tell them they're cowboys. I had old masks from when Sean was a baby when he was in the hospital. And they gave us a bunch of surgical masks when we were in the hospital then. And I just kept them for some reason found them the other day and that's what we wore way to be a hoarder (laughs) 
nine nine year old surgical masks. <laughs> I think they'll be okay. Well, um, you know, I I have a buff that is um, for for those that may not understand what a buff is. It's basically this scarf like material that is just a loop, and you can either use it as a as a, a headband to hold your hair back. You can use it as you know a, a bikini top if you're so inclined. Um, you can also use it as a scarf. It's it's a very versatile thing that people in the running community often use. Well, last year, uh, my girlfriends and I, we we ran, or actually we loped in the uh, in a in a five k uh, Laura's Legacy five k next door in in Garden City, and the giveaways were these pink buffs that have Laura's Legacy on them and pink breast cancer awareness ribbons. And so I have this buff. It's it's kind of handy, Kayleen, because I can have it around my neck. I can put it up over my nose and mouth, um, have a measure of protection. It's designed to be able, you know, it doesn't smother you. It, you don't feel like you're smothered in it, you know? And so uh, I have this and I started wearing it because of people's perceptions of, there are people out there that have negative perceptions of other people wearing masks in public. and typically when they see that it's a pink ribbon, their attitudes, there's a perception change that you can see in their eyes. And so, um, you know, I have a lot of friends that have survived cancer. And if they were to get COVID, they would be very, 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 very challenged. So anyway, I'm, I'm wearing this buff the other day going to the grocery store. And I had an experience that I tell you what, Kayleen, I, I, at the time, I don't know how I managed to, to get through it the way I did, but I did. So I've got my buff on. I put it up over my nose and my mouth. I get out of my car after having parked my car. And there's this gentleman, and he sees me, and he sneers, and he spits at my feet. And just kind of like a, you know, a challenge, you know, what are you going to do now? And I looked him in the eye, Kayleen. And I didn't say anything. I just walked around him and the spit and moved on. But I got to say, I, I was very, I was struggling with A, telling anybody about it. You know, why do you want to poke that bear? And B, do I want to address it? And here's the thing, Kayleen. Nobody knows what's going on behind the mask. They don't know what struggles are in individual people's lives. You don't know what they're dealing with. And so the best thing I've ever been taught is to just treat people with dignity and kindness, uh -huh. no matter how they treat you back. And so, yeah. You probably handled it better than I would. I probably wouldn't have been very nice. You know, <laughs> there's a, at the time, honestly, I just did not want to escalate the situation. Honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, why, why put myself in that position to escalate when all I can do is give them the Latsky death stare and walk around it and, and move on. And so I, I've, I've got to say, um, do I feel safe in the mask? It's not about me. <laughs> it's never been about me and my protection. It's just making sure that I'm not a vector for somebody else. Yeah. 
the last thing I would want, we've always, we've talked about this time and time again, the last two months, the last thing we want to be is, is the, the people that spread it and never, never get sick ourselves, but to be the ones responsible for the spread that I don't know if my heart would be okay with that. Yeah. What do you the, think? Boys, the boys kind of struggled with wearing the mask just because of what they've heard on TV and they've heard, you know, people around us say about the masks. And I told him, I'm like, it's not our, not my rule. It's the, the eye doctor's rule and you have to follow their rules. And I mean, we were in and out of there, so it's not like it was too terribly big of a deal, but you know, we just had to have a frank conversation and the little one, he, he didn't fight it as much as Sean did because we had to go on Mother's Day. We went and got something for my mom, and he didn't want to stay in the car. He was kind of being a pest about it, and I didn't want to leave him in the parking lot. So I put a mask on him, and we went into Walmart. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he was a little more willing than his brother was. So I have friends that are small business owners. And they're trying to reopen, you know, slowly but surely. Some of them have been able to be open through the entire time because they are an ascent, deemed essential, you know. And, um, you know, one of my friends, she and her family all have, you know, several different health challenges that if they were to catch this, it would be a very, very serious situation. And so... They've been wearing masks. They've been, you know, working as best as they can around the situation, just trying to be as cautious as you can. And they still, they have a, a rule. You must have a mask to enter their store. And there are people that see that and try to, you know, bully their way into the store. And she said, no, you know, my, my mom and my dad, they could, they could die if they get this. We don't want it in this store. This is as much for your protection as ours. This is the only major protection that we have open to us right now. We will accommodate you however we can, but this is our store, our rules. And yeah, they've probably lost some sales, but you know what? At the end of the day, they have to take care of themselves, you know? Yeah, they they do. I mean, as limited as the choices are in this town to shop in these times. I mean, there's still another place for you to go. If you don't agree with their, the store's policy, go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't make it worse. Yeah. Well, now we've had some good news. Uh, the rodeo at Greensburg, they're, they're coming back, right? Yeah, they were. Originally, they were scheduled, I believe, the 22nd, 23rd of May, which is they normally have the, the KPRA rodeo during Memorial Day weekend or, you know, the days leading up to Memorial Day. And um, I happened to catch the Kiowa County Commissioner's meeting the other day because my husband rides Ranch Bronx in the KPRA and they were trying to get the rodeo just as like a jackpot rough stock thing because they knew they couldn't get it approved as a full rodeo with all the stuff going on, which is smart because they were limiting the exposure to the contestants and the spectators and everybody that was involved and the health department over there in Kiowa County wasn't real sure about them actually having the rodeo. So she had some interesting statements during the meeting. 
were they just were they just concerned about the the spectators or the ability to keep people a little bit away from each other and not crowded up and bunched up on each other? Yeah, she was concerned that, you know, the rough stock riders, the bull riders, the bareback riders, the sawball riders would be coming from different states. The stock contractor was expecting guys to come from Missouri and Oklahoma and Kansas, and it's nothing for a rough stock rider to travel five, six hours to get on a horse and then leave. The health department, she was concerned about those contestants coming from other states using the quick shop, getting gas, or, you know, using the restroom at the quick shop. And they were concerned with the limited things they have over there in Greensburg as far as grocery store and quick shop. I mean, there's basically one. Yeah. And she had valid concerns, but I don't know. <laughs> I took one of her comments kind of another way because she was concerned about all the positive cases in Ford County. And Ford County is just their neighbor to the West. And so she was concerned about spectators coming from Ford County to watch the rodeo. And they, at Greensburg, they have... It's private property. It's not the fairgrounds where the arena's at. Mm -hmm. They have separate entrances for contestants and for spectators. And you can kind of segregate people that way. And when they've had the rodeo before, they've had, you know, fencing set up where, like, if a spectator wanted to get back behind the chutes, they couldn't anyway, which they don't need to be back there, but that's my personal opinion. Right. Um, (laughs) But it's segregated anyway. If she was wanting separate restroom facilities for contestants and separate for spectators, separate food for spectators and separate food for contestants. And, I mean, the rodeo committee was going to do the best they could to accommodate her requests. Yeah. But then that same day after that, um, after the county commissioners decided that they were going to go ahead and go forth with the rodeo with all the the extra precautions that that's when governor Kelly came down with her phase 1.5 mm-hmm. and it didn't specifically say anything about rodeos that in that phase, but it was assumed that they were not being able to be held until right. June 1st. Well, and livestock and, shows too. Yeah. And the stock contractor and the rodeo committee had the foresight to talk to the county attorney and go to the state attorney general and, you know, plead their case, essentially. And they got it all straightened out and rodeos were okay to be had during during this time. So I think the the more or the the lesson takeaway here is, yeah, they're going to come back, but they're not going to look like we know them to be. It's going to be a different format, you know, maybe there's just not enough. I mean, maybe we sell half the seats at a rodeo and and that way, you know, it's horrible on the, on the prices, but if it's a choice between having it and not having it, you know, reduce seating capacity, that's one way. Yeah. Well, they've had the, the PBRs had a couple of events in Oklahoma already and they, have been televised and there's no spectators and all the contestants, all the the bullfighters, the clowns, all the pickup men, everybody has mask on during the televised events. So I don't know how it's going to turn out. And there was an event in California mother's day weekend, I guess that they had the rodeo as planned. There was 2000 spectators there. People were treating it like it was any other rodeo. And there was, 
not very much social distancing as as you can see in the photos but I mean you don't know what went on yeah really oh yeah <laughs> and I I'm I'm guessing that Kansas probably didn't want to be in the national news again <laughs> for something like that so you know, I think it's just everybody, if you're planning on attending, we're all excited. I want live music concerts to be back on board. I want to be able to go and, you know, we want to be able to go and do social things again. We just have to adjust our expectations. So maybe yeah. we're not going to have the plethora of offerings at the at the concession stand. You know what? It's okay. Nobody's died because they didn't get a walking taco. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, bottled water, it'll be fine. Uh, we're gonna yeah. have to we're gonna have to figure out how to work beer gardens. We're gonna have to figure out how to have dances again and all sorts of things. Um, and we'll just take in case by case. So yeah, I didn't. I just saw an article. I didn't read it about Ohio State thinking that they could have a college football game with twenty thousand fans as opposed to one hundred and five thousand what the stadium holds. Yeah. So that's gonna be another hurdle to get over i believe i tell you what i will be interested to see what the big 12 does as far as um figuring out how to take care of stands in live football games and i will be darn looking forward to what the sec does because as the sec goes everybody else goes right yeah <laughs> i mean you try telling alabama that they have to cut their um their stadium capacity by two-thirds I don't know if that's going to go over very well. <laughs> yeah, I don't see that happening. You know, speaking of of stadiums and football, um, this weekend would have been uh, the Bill Snyder um, 5K and, and half marathon um, over there in, in Manhattan, Kansas. It would have been would have been my friends and I's fifth time to go and do the race. And it was postponed until Labor Day weekend just because they were you know, in a situation, you're going to have a lot of people uh, perspiring and respirating heavily in close quarters. Granted, the runners are distanced out, the walkers are distanced out, but still there's a lot of, of gas exchange going on when you're walking and exercising and running like that. Yeah, Plus, and isn't most college campuses closed until... right? a certain point in July anyway. Right. Um, I've, I've heard word that K-State, for example, they are not having any movement of their personnel until July 31st. And yeah. so, or August 1st, I guess. And so, um, you know, we've got that situation. And honestly, when you think about it, Coach Snyder himself is always on hand to congratulate every single runner and walker and participant. And, you know, he's there to shake hands and he signs autographs and he takes pictures and the man just got over cancer. You know, let's just not do something that's going to hurt him. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, we can all gather on September 7th and we can we can have that race and we'll finish on the finish on the, on the 50 yard line and it'll be great. So it's just normally this would be the weekend that I would travel with my girlfriends all to Manhattan and we would have a girls weekend deluxe and I'm not having that this weekend. And I'm a little melancholy about it, Kayleen. Uh, 
So how are you folks out there? Drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know, or you can call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. And of course, please do us a favor, head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review if you could. In this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the May 18th print edition. And we will have a special chat with uh, one of the participants of the virtual wheat tour that's wrapping up today, Thursday, May 21st, and talk about what they saw on the road. And then Kayleen will bring us the latest on grain markets and we'll have our final thoughts. We're still all safe and sound in our homes, but we sure miss the office, right, Kayleen? Yeah, starting to. And we, we hope that you guys are all safe and sound too. Thanks for riding along with us here on HPJ Talk. This week's cover story is by Jenny. Wheat might be the bright spot in the post-COVID global market. Every sector of ag has been upended because of the COVID-19 pandemic. From livestock producers to corn growers and every aspect in between, most all facets of the industry have come out, haven't come out unscathed, except for maybe wheat. Wheat is an affordable staple food ingredient for so many, and it may just be in a better position than other commodities in the post-COVID-19 world because countries want to ensure their domestic food supplies for their citizens. And while economists are still trying to quantify the phenomenon that they're seeing, there are some early lessons to be learned right now in the thick of it and perhaps some bright spots for wheat farmers to look forward to as they head into harvest. You know, you're right, Kayleen. And yesterday I got a, a phone call from a reader that, that took exception to the story and um, he had a point. You know, wheat at $4, $4.50, is still 1960s prices. And there's a reason why wheat acres continue to decline. We're not saying, and um, the economists are not saying that this is, you know, if you make wheat, you're you're gonna be making bank. That's not what this is. If the the situation is, if there's any sort of glimmer of any sort of profitability or hope in the environment, in the in the commodities environment, Kayleen, wheat, because people still use it as a food crop. Um, and there are countries that are starting to restrict their exports and keep it domestically in their own countries. And, you know, such as Russia, the Ukraine. And when that wheat's taken off of the global market, American wheat often can replace that. And so, uh, countries like China and India are trying to build up their reserves and for their own citizens. And so American wheat farmers might actually find a place to sell their wheat. They might be able to work through some of the carryover that's left over from last year. Um, but it's still by no means, no means is it a situation that's that's good. It's it's just hopeful. You know, there's there's yeah. a shimmer of hope. Yeah. So, and it sounds like sorghum. I mean, they're having sales to, to Vietnam and other places over that direction, and hopefully, every crop that has exports will 
see some bright light in all of this. Mm -hmm. You know, speaking of sorghum, Kayleen, um, listening in on the virtual wheat tour that's going on right now on their updates, um, I think with the drought situation here in western Kansas and eastern Colorado, southeastern Colorado specifically, and parts of Oklahoma, parts of Texas, you might see a lot more sorghum going into the ground this year instead of corn. Uh, that's still yet to be seen, but you know there are some indications some farmers are either keeping planters in the shed for a little bit longer until they can find, get a rain and pull that trigger, or they're just looking at it and going, you know what, um, with ethanol prices and ethanol plants closing down or, or shuttering temporarily, Sorghum's our better bet for the use of and yeah. preserving that water. So we'll see how this all, all pans out. But it's surprising for so many years, sorghum and wheat have been um, the stepchildren, as it were, on the commodity scale. And, yeah. oh, look who's the bell of the ball now. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of, of distributing food to the needy, Lacey Newland has a story inside about the USDA coronavirus program distributing food to needy while supporting agriculture. And the USDA announced April 17th, it has started the Farmers to Families Food Box Program as part of a coronavirus food assistance program as an effort to provide nutrition to the needy and support American agriculture at the same time. The Farmers to Families Food Box Program was designed specifically to cut red tape put nutritious American foods in the hands of those most affected by COVID-19 and prevent farmers from having to destroy perfectly good products because of storage limitations. On the opinions and editorials page, editor Dave Bergmeier has a column, stress, hope, opportunity, and challenge part of the pandemic story. Washington whispers column for the, for this week is titled a Kansas model for giving back. And Larry Schnell, co-owner of the Stockman's livestock exchange in Dickinson, North Dakota, but a letter to the editor called LMA to focus on pricing investigations. I think we are going to see a lot more movement on those pricing investigations, Kayleen. Um, in recent uh, recent days, we've seen some movement out of the White House and, and USDA as far as, um, you know, talking about how the, the situation with the Packers. There's some measures out there that are both good and both bad, and uh, we'll we'll keep on on top of that, won't we? Yeah, I've listened to on a few things, and we're trying our best to keep track of it all. And as a reminder, <laughs> this uh, the situation changes daily. So if you want to catch up with um, the latest as latest daily news, be sure to check uh, www.hpj.com. And uh, make sure that you, you follow us in print as well. Also this week, Lacey had a story about the Oklahoma wheat tour and how it predicts the good, bad, and ugly for the wheat crop. The 40th annual Oklahoma wheat tour was held virtually this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic and social distancing guidelines. However, experts were still able to deliver a detailed summary of what Oklahoma can expect for the 2020 wheat harvest. Amanda Silva, Oklahoma State University Assistant Professor and Small Grains Extension Specialist, said in general, most of Oklahoma's wheat got off to a slow start in the fall and suffered from slow growth. Extra moisture this spring gave it a boost. Unfortunately, a mid-April freeze harmed a lot of the crop across the state, but specifically in the southwest and south-central parts of Oklahoma. 
Quote, the main issue was that when this freeze came, the wheat was right at flowering, so we have a lot of heads that are sterile and not producing any grain, end quote. Um, as a reminder, uh, the virtual wheat tour that is, is going on this week, Mike Schulte, executive director of the Oklahoma Wheat Commission, provided an update of this, um, this crop tour uh, to the, the tour, virtual tour participants, and you can read about that online at hpj.com as well. Oh, and Kayleen, you have a story in the livestock section about the messy side of agriculture. Um, you honestly had a, a rough webinar to listen into. My, if, if I'm, I'm glad you took care of it because it's a little bit too much for my stomach, honestly, but uh, this disposal webinar helps livestock producers with methodology what all did you learn there? Well, they talked mostly about disposing of animals if they didn't have any place to go, if they can't find another route for these animals, mostly talking about swine and, and poultry and what you can do on the farm to bury the, the carcasses if you needed to. And it wasn't really as gruesome as, as you're making it out to be. Oh, that's good. <laughs> or just talking about you know how how your the hole needs to be made you know the carbon you put down which carbon is essentially wood shavings or some sort of other material that will absorb everything that needs to be absorbed and it was more more science more that sort of thing than the gruesome aspect part of it i'm still glad that you listened in on that kayleen <laughs> <laughs> Well, and the guys that were in the webinar, they had previous experience with um, disease situations where they had to euthanize large numbers of animals that were diseased, and so they have they had some pretty good ideas and some pretty good tips. And in that story is a link to all their information that they've compiled. So that's good to good to have out there. Good. And Jenny, you also had your common ground column this week: modified adventure weights. And you you spoke a little bit about that earlier when we were talking. And as far as how your life has changed, it seems like yours has changed a little bit more than mine because I'm still going to town. I'm still doing stuff. So, you know, I, I got to say one thing I didn't mention earlier is I finally had um, four of my or three of my friends came over uh, night before last. We sat on the patio a good distance from each other. We had the fire pit going. We made s'mores. We um, roasted hot dogs. We stayed away from each other. Nobody hugged up on each other or anything. But I tell you what, Kayleen, it did my brain a world of good to have just a conversation for a couple of hours with some friends. Um, we had one friend wear her mask, and that was okay. Um, you know, the, the rest of us, we stayed away from each other as far as we could. And like I said, we did our best not to breathe up on each other. So <laughs> it, you got to do what you got to do. Exactly. Well, hey, folks, you can read more on the variety of ag issues facing farmers and ranchers in the print High Plains Journal, or you can always look for it online anytime at www.hpj.com. And folks, you'll see that we're running an early bird special discount on registration for Cattle You and Trade Show July 29th and 30th in Dodge City. Attendee registration is just $85 until June 1st. Don't miss your chance to join us at Cattle You. Visit www.cowu.net. And remember, if you have a response to something you've read or heard, 
please write to us at journal at hpj.com or our hpjtalk at hpj.com account. We want to hear from you. This is Jennifer Latsky, and I am speaking over the phone with Kansas Wheat CEO Justin Gilpin, fresh off the first ever virtual wheat tour um, in across the state of Kansas. Justin, how did it go? How was it? How was it this year uh, having a virtual wheat tour instead of the in-person Wheat Quality Council hard winter tour? Well, Jenny, sure good to be with you. And I know I know you're familiar with the traditional Wheat Quality Council annual uh, hard red winter wheat tour that takes place every year. And, and due to the COVID situation, uh, they had to make a tough decision and cancel that this year. And so we weren't able to, to do the that typical uh, wheat tour. You know, that, that wheat tour is... It, you can't replace that just because it's so unique. And I know you've been, been on it and have enjoyed it, but the uh, opportunity to be able to get our customers to interact with grain handlers, flour millers, bakers, international wheat buyers, right with our farmers uh, for a three or four day experience while traveling the state of Kansas and networking and being able to tell everything that goes into the Kansas crop while uh, one of our customers is standing out in the field trying to uh, understand better about the crop's prospects and, and learning about everything that goes into it, that ultimately when that crop is harvested, it could be going into their flour mill. Uh, that's That, that kind of experience just can't be replaced. And so when that tour got canceled, first thing we did is try to uh, understand how, how could we try to do something in its place uh, if we could not knowing that we weren't going to be able to do the face-to-face <laughs> stuff, Jenny, but uh, and have people traveling uh, internationally and in, or even state state to state. Um, so the idea came actually from one of our board members who said, you know, that is it's a special time to be able to communicate to the to the wheat industry, uh, putting Kansas wheat up on a on a spotlight uh, for that period of time and talking about our crop. Is there something that we could do in its place? And, and that's really where the idea of doing a virtual wheat tour uh, came out of, Jenny. And, and uh, it had a few glitches. Uh, everybody's work life seems to be filled with Zoom meetings and FaceTime calls these days. Uh, but um, all in all, uh, through those glitches uh, and, and trying to put this together, I, I, I think uh, we feel here at the Kansas Wheat Office really really pleased with, with the final outcome and, and, uh, and the feedback that we've gotten from it. Do you think that this might be an added component to future Wheat Quality Council tours? You had Dave Green on the tour, too. Yeah, it was, it was really good to have Dave Green, the Wheat Quality Council Executive Director, out on the tour today doing the, the Central Kansas leg and then having him uh, stop in our office and be part of the Zoom call today. Um, you know, in thinking about Wheat Quality Council annual tours in the future. We certainly did learn some things from the virtual wheat tour this year, and, and how to how to use uh, how to incorporate technology a little bit more, uh, how to uh, be able to reach uh, media and interested parties a little bit better. And uh, that, I think just like everybody's life going forward, Jenny is uh, you know the 
the things that we've had to do over the last couple months are probably things that uh, we've we've learned a little bit from that will impact our, our businesses and our day-to-day life going forward. Good. The tour is going to be like that. Good. You know, we've always said that uh, it really lends itself to social media. It really lends itself to, um, you know, there's a the activity on Twitter has ramped up in the last three years alone. Um, you know, you get so many more people that can view it from a di- their their home offices and such. So um, it just brings more more eyeballs to the picture and and understanding. But so speaking of that picture. Um, this year, we're hearing a story of drought out west, uh, freeze damage in many, many parts of, of the major wheat growing region. And then we had some excess moisture over on the eastern side. Uh, can you maybe sum up what some of the, the crop reports that we saw? And, and you know, with your, your um, background in, in milling, um, what does that mean to our buyers? Well, certainly every year is different. Every year has a, a, a varying degree of differences with the crop. And boy, this year, uh, it, it certainly has the variability is the definition. Um, with north central Kansas having uh, some drought stressed areas and the crop that's a little bit further behind uh, versus getting out uh, to the western part of the state where we have had uh, drought. And then, of course, the freeze, the Easter freeze, and then the week following the Easter freeze where we had April 13th through the 17th with sub-freezing temperatures for prolonged periods of time. And everybody saw on social media what impact that potentially could have on the crop. Uh, and then to be able to get out there this week and see the combination of areas that uh, had the drought and the freeze, uh, but then seeing the areas in the central corridor that uh, have had pretty good temperatures, uh, friendly temperatures and pretty good moisture, even some moisture that's fallen today, uh, just following up the, the winter, the crop that has really responded and snapped back and, and, and looks a lot better than what it did four weeks ago in those areas because of the, of the moisture and, and the good cooler temperatures that it's had. And then in the southeast Kansas, you know, certainly in some areas we've had some had some flooding and some really excessive rains and so when you put all that together it's uh it's quite a quite a snapshot in time of the kansas wheat crop with all the different challenges that it has um you know you know doing the wheat tour jenny a little uh, uh two weeks after usda has already put out the number really takes the pressure off of everybody looking to see what what will this number, this mm-hmm. week quality council number come up with? What will that mean to the market? Those type of questions. Whereas this week, the virtual tour really served as an opportunity, uh, not so much worried about a number or yield estimates, but being able to get out and see drought stress in the Southwest, the central Kansas crop that's trying to rebound from freeze damage, uh, the South Central area that's getting some stripe rust, Northwest Kansas that uh, had been hit it was a little bit earlier in maturity, but also have been hit with trees. How is it responding back? Uh, so I think being able to virtually get uh, the pictures out there, being able to talk about it through a Zoom call every day, and being having having over 200 participants on those calls, I think uh, was an excellent opportunity for us to really showcase and tell the Kansas wheat story. Well, and as you mentioned, USDA's numbers, their its most recent estimate was 306 million bushels. The, the estimate that we came out of this tour was 284.4 million, right? 
That's correct, yes. So um, there is a little bit less pressure, and, and mostly it's because those USDA numbers came not just the first part of May, but those are numbers from pre, I mean, those were numbers that they gathered in April, right? Right. That's, uh, that, that they would characterize those numbers as May, as of May 1st. That is the first estimate for the winter wheat crop that they would, that they issue. And that will be adjusted in their June crop. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with yield and planted acres. But, you know, the number that we generated, it's, it's a combination of the yield date, uh, the yield estimates that were taken throughout all nine crop reporting districts during this week. Putting that into also uh, the feedback we were getting about potential abandonment and what the harvested acres might be, knowing that there's going to be a little bit more abandonment because of the drought uh, and, and challenges out in southwest Kansas. Maybe some less abandonment in some other areas like south central uh, because uh, the crops uh, is looking mm-hmm. uh, fairly good and not having those same challenges. Putting that all together, that's where we came up with a $284 uh, million uh, estimate for the state of Kansas, which is lower than where the USDA is, probably more noticeably. That's, you know, that's uh, quite a bit lower than the 338 million production that we had last year. So year on year, uh, you know, we're looking at a pretty uh, significant drop in production in the state of Kansas. One kind of final-ish question. Uh, How many acres were we estimating to to get harvested? Um, I I know we're still talking snapshot in time, and that abandonment figure is really tough to get our our hands across right now. But um, this estimate, uh, what, what was the number that we were using? Well, with the, uh, the USDA number, uh, they had 47 bushel average, and they came out uh, well off of 6.8 million planted acres. USDA had used a 4% abandonment or acres that would not be harvested for grain, so harvesting 96% of the acres that were planted, and that put them at a 306 million bushel uh, final estimate uh, for Kansas. Whereas after this tour, uh, we're using you know, the 6.8 planted, uh, the yield averages after day three of the 44.5. Hearing the, and seeing firsthand that there is going to be potentially you know, 10, 10% abandonments in some areas, some areas localized are going to be higher than that, uh, which is above average for the state of Kansas. Uh, so, But knowing there might be some less abandonment in the central corridor, uh, we do think that though, as an average for the state as a whole, that number might be closer to 6% abandonment or 94% harvested. Okay. And then using that, that's where it comes up to the 284, 400,000 okay. uh, million bushels. Okay. Well, hey, I, I won't keep you any further. Um, I know you've got many more people to talk to after this first ever virtual wheat tour. Um, thanks for joining us on HPJ Talk. And uh Folks, if you want to see more re- uh, results from the wheat tour, of course, you can always check out the, the updates at www.hpj.com. And um, where can they find recordings of each day's uh, final uh, tallies? On the Kansas Wheat website under uh, a virtual wheat tour, uh, there are recordings from each day. Uh, and so uh, that is getting quite a bit of attention. So we encourage people to look at that and please pass on any uh, any feedback or suggestions for the future but appreciate that everything you do for agriculture jenny it's always great to visit with you uh thanks justin uh, the check's in the mail okay <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you on the trail justin sounds great thank you
gray market prices from Dodge City's Pride Ag Resources on May 12th, corn was up at $3.12, wheat was down at $4.25, milo was up at $3.27, and soybeans were up at $7.57. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash sign up. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for our newsmaker issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes May 25th with a story from Lacey Newland. And you can look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends.